I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanta Walker here, and we are going to talk to one of our new podcasters on the network. Her name is Shannon Davis, and she is an attorney, and she's also a mental health advocate. So we're going to talk to Shannon, find out what she does, what her show is about, and then we're going to get into some other interesting topics, topic of the last few weeks and moving forward, how we deal with uh, stalking, trolling, harassment in this internet age. So Shannon, thank you so much for coming on the network first and for coming on my show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, I um, finding Shannon is really, you know, just about my kind of my journey with mental health. And like you said, I'm an attorney. So it does give me a weird perspective because you deal with people a lot. So I have to interact continuously with people and different types of people. And that really does give uh, a new dynamic to dealing with a mental health issue. So finding Shannon really is just my journey, what I've learned, some of my failures. And I'm hoping through this journey, other people don't one, either don't suffer as much and they learn, you know, because I do highlight not only my successes, but also my failures because I'm very realistic. Everybody's journey is not the same and everybody's journey, you know, my failure could be somebody's saving grace. Right. So I definitely try to highlight all of it um, and not just put myself out there as look how amazing I am and look how great I'm doing. It's like, yeah, I tried 15 steps before this worked. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, so maybe you can try two steps and it'll work. Um, it took me 15, but, you yeah. know, hopefully somebody has that. They have that there to be like, yeah, you know, it did take me you know, this didn't work for you, but this worked great for me. And that's why I try to highlight not just, yes, this worked for me, but this didn't work for me. Maybe it'll work for you. And Shannon's been super helpful with us uh, updating a lot of our, um, our 
mission statements and contracts and disclaimers and things like that to help protect the network. So that's been super helpful. And I love the fact that you, I mean, I know it's very difficult for you and we'll talk about that, but being on the criminal defense attorney side and, and not in a, uh, well, in one of um, the, the many dangerous, but one of the top 10, probably uh, most dangerous cities, does give you that other side of the coin. So I've been able to, you know, ask you questions about things that are going on with us and you understand it from the side of how someone would get away with it. That's not doing a good thing. <laughs> it's been very helpful. Yes. <laughs> it does give uh, that kind of like novelist perspective, like, you know, uh, how to get away with murder type thing. So I yeah. use it for I use it for good, not bad. Exactly. It's so funny because there's so many times, you know, that we're doing shows and we're talking about, well, always, um, you know, the most downloaded shows or anything that we do about narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder, sociopathy, psychopathy. So those shows, you know, we talk about this is what it looks like. This is how people behave. This is what you'll deal with. And we do put ourselves on the line when we do that, because that's the last thing that people that behave this way want you to do is to um, give the public awareness about what, you know, how it is that they behave. So it fits right in line with what you do, that you do this show. You're talking, of course, about dealing with mental illness and mental wellness. And then also that you hope you have to work with these people <laughs> and so on you a know, daily basis <laughs> on a daily basis so you know how from a legal perspective things are you know um not necessarily uh protected law-wise things that might need to mm -hmm. be changed uh, additional information about how people that are on the receiving end of this kind of behavior you know from that legal perspective can cope um yeah you know, with what they're having to deal with. And that's been very helpful to us. So really, really think it was kismet that you ended up here. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> so how long has your show been on the air? Because we didn't start your show. You had one already and then we added it to the network. Yeah, I actually started at the beginning of December. Um, I, I've been in, I've done podcasts before, YouTube channels for different things. And I really just wanted a way to document my journey. Um, I love journal, but, you know, my words in my journal really don't help anybody. Right. And well, except you. <laughs> right, exactly. And even then you need somebody to kind of keep you in check, too. Right. And uh, so I started in December. Uh, luckily, I guess a lot of people, especially when they're going through you know, a mental health, like when it really starts, when you realize like, oh God, something's not right. Yeah. I think everybody kind of has that moment that I've seen. It's not, for most people, it's not like, you know, this long progression. It's like the, the symptoms and all of a sudden it's just a smack in the face. Like, yeah. okay, something's really wrong. And mine was in August of this, uh, well, not 2019, 2018. And I decided to document it podcast style because with my job, I, I talk nonstop, you know. Right. Um, so it does give me, I guess, a little of an advantage that this it's not really putting myself out there in a way that scares me because I do it every day. Um, so it does give me that advantage and it gives, you know my listeners and everybody else that advantage because I don't have that fear of people 
hearing my journey. Right. Uh, because this is something I do daily. You know, talking is literally my job and reading. So with those two <laughs> things, yeah, with those two things combined, it really does give people, you know, that advantage because I do have that voice and I'm not scared to use it. Exactly. Exactly. So how, I mean, that has to be such a tightrope sometimes considering some of the people that you're having to, you know, work on the defense side because that's Mm -hmm. what your job is. And then also dealing with your own mental health. How do you Mm -hmm. navigate that and have a family and, um, and also be able to take breaks from it that are, I'm sure, absolutely necessary? Uh, yeah, I mean, and that's part of it is I have to take breaks um, there. You know, if I start getting into the mindset of, you know, if I don't get this done, what's going to happen? That's for me when I know I need to take a break. Um, if I get in the mindset of like, it kind of hard to explain, but if I look at my to-do list and I've done like 40 things on it and there's still 40 more to go. And I don't feel any gratification. That's when I know it's a break. Yeah, I do that. You know, yeah, I do that go too. Ahead, sorry. No, I just I was just saying I I I get it. I do that too. I had a a lot of stuff I had to do last night, and um, I was really tired. I had stayed up with a friend that um had gotten in a, a minor accident, but there, it was a minor concussion. So I um I stayed the night and I slept on the couch because I wanted to be able to hear if she needed anything. And, uh, and I woke up then, you know, yesterday and I was absolutely exhausted because I got zero sleep and it was, my day was packed from, you know, nine in the morning until literally 10 at night. And at 10 o'clock, I still, because my day was packed, I had all these tasks to do that quote unquote had to be done. And I just went, you're going to bed and tomorrow is a new day. <laughs> right. And, and that's especially true. I think if you have to deal with the public, which I know you do to an yep. extent, and you have to take those breaks regularly, you have to take breaks away from your family. Yeah. I mean, or it does lead to not being able to handle, um, especially for me, clients and stuff like that. And that's just, I mean, I, I worked very hard to get my law license so that's not something I'm willing to just throw away because a task needs to be done but it's due in two weeks or whatever right um, so I it is a balancing act that sometimes gets very 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 unbalanced but I try to you know take those breaks and do what I can yeah yeah absolutely you have to so in terms of doing your show, was there ever any concern about colleagues that, you know, that you work with hearing it or anything like that? Um, not really. I mean, there, there's some people that probably don't know or won't know um, that I won't share this with for sure. Mm-hmm. But most of the people I work with, uh, we kind of have similar experiences Um dealing with, you know, criminal defense and dealing with just being an attorney in general. And a lot of them have had similar issues or they're, they get it. Um, Because we, luckily where I was working uh, was very tight knit group overall. And 
you know, we had a lot of similar experiences, even, you know, even if they were from different demographics, backgrounds, all the above. So that, that really hasn't been a concern. What has been is more so family and um, people that don't understand, um, you know, what I've been through because it doesn't, you know, because they just either one, they don't try to, or they just can never put themselves even close to that place. So. Right. Yeah. Cause I'm looking at some of the titles you have parenting with a mental illness, working with mental illness. Is it possible? Mm -hmm. uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays, a bit of reality for you. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> putting the pieces together after an identity crisis. I mean, mm -hmm. these are, you know, and like all the podcasts on the network, everybody's talking about serious stuff. No one is talking, not that widget making isn't serious, but we don't have right. any shows that are about widget making. Right. <laughs> Unless it's related right. to widget making, that's good for your mental health. <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah, they're, they're all very serious topics. Um, I've definitely had my ups and downs in every possible category known to man. Um, so I definitely try to relate my experiences as much as possible. You know, I think the two main ones, you know, that most people deal with on a regular basis are working and parenting. Yeah. Um, the, I think those are two of my, uh, most listened to shows thus far and, um, rightfully so. And they, they're the two that I really am probably going to talk about more in depth, you know, in the future. Right. Because, I mean, they really do, you know, the big thing for especially, I guess, parenting for me has been probably the hardest. Um, and I think it is for a lot of people It's because you, you don't want to continue that cycle that, you know, a lot of us have probably the not best parents, which I will caveat that and say, you know, this, uh, my biological father had very, you know, very many narcissistic, narcissistic traits. Mm -hmm. Um, but not my mom and my stepdad, who is my dad by all means. Right. Um, but I think parenting, a lot of people just don't want to continue that cycle. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, when you do have a mental health illness, you deal with it on a daily basis you know, a lot of us snap and don't mean to and, right. Or, you know, they yell, and we don't mean to, it's like, why am I even yelling? It's just milk, you know, <laughs> like, so it's that, it's that reality of you don't want to continue the cycle and how are you, but how do you deal with it? Cause there isn't, I mean, there isn't really as much as, you know, everybody likes to say like, Oh, read this book and read this book and read this book. It really doesn't help day to day. Yeah. With, especially when you're dealing with, you know, a mental issue day to day. Right. Yeah. I mean, long-term decisions maybe, but I mean, you know, what about the days that I can't get out of bed, but I still have to. Yeah. And that's yeah. really what I try to kind of focus on in mind is not just, you know, the, well, let's all love them. Okay. We all love them. Let's move past that. <laughs> like, you know, that's okay. That's a given. So let's move past it and let's talk about stuff that, you know, is serious because one thing I do talk about is there are days when it's just not feasible for me to be perfect mom or even subpar mom, Absolutely. you know, and one thing I try to do is, you know, I don't really 
like my kids being on the tablet, but on those days they get a lot of extra tablet time, not even going to lie. And yeah. it's better for them and it's better for me. Yeah. Um, because I mean, if they, I mean, you know, they, they get a lot of cues from me. They get a lot of, you know, anxiety if I start getting anxious and I can see it on their faces. So if an extra hour of tablet time saves them an extra therapy session 20 years from now, I'll take it. Get on the tablet. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, My, I had that same conversation. My son just came on, um, the, the other night, um, which he's rarely, he's only been on my show once before and, uh, he's, you know, in his late, late twenties. So, um, we had talked before the show went on the air. He said, yeah, I was appreciative of the times that you just sort of left me alone to go watch TV because you were having a meltdown. (laughs) Right. I mean, and I think, you know, especially with things like having a podcast and you have Google and you have all this research and there, you know, the American pediatric association saying no more than an hour. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I get my kids at two 30 every day. That's mm-hmm. a long time for bedtime. If I'm myself having a mental breakdown, Right. <laughs> that is a long time. Right. That doesn't include dinner. That doesn't include laundry. I mean, that's a good, cleaning, right. Everything else. That's, yeah. It's a good solid six hours of me trying to keep it together and they're going to notice and that's six hours. So you know, go, if it's winter, go play outside is not an option either. So, I mean, there's only a certain amount of things you can do. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, the, your, your subtitle is a journey to thriving with a mental illness, a complex mm-hmm. PTSD story. So can you give our listeners, cause there is a show that you have listed that um, says trigger warning and how you developed CPTSD. Right. So can you give us a little bit of an idea? I want them, I want you listeners to listen to the show, but I want to just tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, mine developed in kind of a, it wasn't, you know, just like prolonged things that normal CPTSD, it was a combination of uh, having a, you know, a husband who is dealing with his own issues. Um, at the same time, um, I was dealing with criminal law and one of the most dangerous cities in America. And a lot of uh, my clients were, I mean, dangerous criminals. I mean, there's no other way to like, you know, sugarcoat right. that one. They were murderers, rapists. Um, and that was just a normal Tuesday for me. Right. And at the same time, um, dealing with financial issues um, and dealing with a boss who, you know, had some gaslighting um, issues, you know, all of that at the same time. And there's just there was like nowhere to be safe. And I started working from home a lot more. And then my car got stolen out of my driveway from home. And the safe part, uh, the safe part. And so it was like, my brain was like, we can't handle this anymore. Like we've got to go into survival mode. And I was there for, you know, good seven, eight, nine months. Right. And in August is when I moved uh, right after I moved. And I guess my brain thought it was safe enough for 
for me to start dealing with all the issues because it just broke. Um, I mean, it broke. So, I mean, it wasn't really it wasn't you know, one, one thing. Right. Many things compounding. Yeah. Right. It was like if it wouldn't have been one thing, if one thing would have been taken out of the equation, I feel like it would have been fine. But it wasn't. It was so many things at the same time that just right after the other, I couldn't take anymore. Yeah. And that's what happens for a lot of people. I mean, sometimes it is an event that happens. And sometimes it is that culmination of many events that, uh, and you just Just keep going. going. Yeah. And they're compounded. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I, I can't wait for people to, you know, listen to you go in more depth on, you know, on that show. I think I go pretty in depth. Um, it's one of my first episodes. Mm-hmm. So it is. I think it's your third. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, and if anyone wants to, um, you know, to find her show, you can certainly go to iTunes, Stitcher, um, Anchor. There's uh, so many places that you can hear it. But um, you can also, if you want to, just you know, find all the many places you can get to it. You can go to mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, click on our shows and you'll see it's in alphabetical order. You'll see finding Shannon on that list and that'll, you know, give you all that information. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, this new age, because this has come up for us and you know why. (laughs) Um, It's come up before, it's happened before. And, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's unique each time because you're dealing with a different individual or group of individuals. And as an example, we had um, one of the Boston marathon attack survivors. She was running in that race when, when the bomb was, um, you know, went off and we've had some other people on the, on the show too, that were uh, people that have dealt with a very public issue. And the moment that they made a public statement about it, they were massively trolled and um, death threats and all kinds of things like that. I haven't dealt with that it being that harsh, but I know a lot of my friends that are very, very, very much in the public eye deal with that on a regular basis. And they have a team of people that, you know, they work with or an agency that they work with. And that's part of what they have to pay for as being an actress or a person or an actor or someone in the public eye is they have to pay this team who handles death threats, stalking, uh, imposing their picture onto pornography, uh, you know, just all this litany of stuff that they have to deal with because they're in the public. And that's, there's certainly stalking and harassment and things like that pre-internet, but it's to a whole new level now. Right. The access is definitely a lot easier. Yeah. And you can, you know, and what I found interesting is, you know, I had talked to you about, well, um, you know, I was told by the police in another country that I have to get my local police to give me information uh, or to do a report and then they have to send it to police in another country and you know my local police I think someone called me from a 7-eleven at night and said well I don't know what we're supposed to do about that I never heard of such a thing and I was like wow and then you sent me a link well this is what your state says that they're supposed to do but you know how do people deal with that when you're you know when you're like you're talking to Barney Fife and they have no clue and now you're having to educate your own 
local police department about what here's what the state laws are without being angry because granted no one you know a lot of people have no clue right i mean you're talking a lot of these internet laws cyber stalking like we've been talking about they're pretty new Uh, they're pretty new books and you know a local community with you know 50,000 or below isn't going to deal with that type of crime on a regular basis right um so the police may just i mean it's part of it is it's they really just don't know and part of it is is there's not a lot of training on it for police yet in smaller now if you were in new york city different story you know they're going to have a cyber team an entire team that deals with just cyber threats. If you're in DC, you're gonna have a cyber team, any big city. Um, and the more, you know, the more technology that is around that city, the more they're gonna know about it. Right. Any type of cyber threat. But if you're just dealing, cause I come from a small town myself, if you're just dealing with a common, you know, cyber threat in a city of 50,000 below where there's no real, you know, the cyber team or anything like that, you're, you're going to have to just nicely, like you said, you don't, I mean, you don't want to push because really it's not, it's not something they're dealing with on a regular basis. So right. you do want to make sure if that's happening to you, you know, the laws in your state, um, right. but most states have laws against it and the bigger cities, you know, they are the ones that are, spearing it spearheading it making sure you know teams are formed and stuff like that but your smaller cities you're just gonna have to know your states mm-hmm. and educate do some education I mean no <laughs> one wasn't nice you know when I did say okay I called that person back and I said here's a link that you need to go educate yourself on they were wonderful right. and I'm lucky and then I have resources like you I have guests that um, you know, are part of Scotland Yard that are detectives, former detectives, you know, people that have been on my show that are now friends. And I can say, okay, what can you tell me about this from right. different countries? So we've got really good resources for finding out what protection is and somebody can make a little phone call on our behalf. And, you know, maybe, right. maybe not, They'll, you know, they can't say whether they would do that or not, but, you know, it's, we're lucky in that way, but you're just, you know, with someone without those resources, you're just sitting there like, I think about people like, um, I had a family member that, that, um, was, uh, elderly and was being harassed online. Uh, was, it was this, uh, program that was written a few years ago that uh, if you go on certain websites and you clicked on it, um, they, it would take a picture of your face and then it would, it would, it, it, it was a, nice little hacker program it opened it turned on your webcam it took a picture of your face and then it put you on a page and said if you don't pay x and x dollars we'll put you on a site that says you're a pervert and you're this and that and the other and right i know and i knew at the time it's ridiculous you're not paying that this is where we're going to go and report this we took it the computer to a computer store they got rid of the application that got downloaded and um, and that whole 
application, you know, and the people that created it were caught and, you know, but it made millions of dollars for a while. And mostly by going after the elderly that are just clicking around on the internet and they're like, because they don't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, and, and unfortunately it's going to get better, you know, it's going to get worse and better at the same time because the, the more people are familiar with computers, the more they can stay away from those threats. They know that they can Google and stuff like that. But I mean, the older generation has been targets for years just because they, they're, they're, they're not as familiar with computers. They don't, realize you know that the ramifications of these people are threatening with really aren't anything you know and they don't know really who to call um, but and i mean they're embarrassed yeah. they're embarrassed and they think oh no if something is put out there on this big thing called the internet um it's going to ruin my whole life and my family's going to think less of me because of what right. this thing is lying about saying about me and and i'm i thought it was interesting to hear my son say You know, I grew up when the internet, he was like um, in early grade school when everybody was getting online. So he's, he said, you know, my generation is in this interesting space. He's, he's millennial. So we tend to not get as freaked out about that kind of harassment because we've dealt with it since early grade school. It's Gen Z and older generations than millennials that tend to freak out because Gen Z is just dealing with it and they're dealing with it at an age that's so young. Right. Millennials have the advantage of, oh, okay, that's a troll. Yep. Okay. So my face is on some site that says I'm a pervert. There's nothing I can do about it. Who cares? Any of my friends that would look at it would be like, hey, look at that. Another troll. And no one would think or nor would their employer think anything different. But the other generations are like, you know, right. Completely agreed. I mean, that's an advantage of growing up as the internet has grown up, I guess you could say, you know, I, I was think seven or eight when we got our first computer um, and the internet was dial up AOL, um, you know, (laughs) I was a lot older than you when that happened, but yeah. you know, and you got kicked off if somebody used the phone or uh, <laughs> things like that. And, but we've grown up with it. We know, like, you know, I mean, there, there's a whole thing about Facebook and the 2016 campaign, you know, with stories that were just getting passed around and yep. around and around. And, and my generation goes, who cares about that story? Let's do the research. Because we did grow up with, you know, the memes starting, like everything right. basically started with our generation. So we know how full of crap most people are right. <laughs> when it comes to the Internet, because right. we're the ones doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you don't get as upset. Like, I'm not upset. I was for f- maybe five seconds. And then I have, like I said, I have such great resources, including my son to say, oh my, to say, well, there's my picture with my dog, uh, uh, my therapy dog that has like a commendation from seven years of service helping people and all this horrible crap is written. And I'm in in good company because there's tons of other people that are on this 
site too that are probably you know decent hardworking people too that someone just you know is out for trolling but but after that I was like whatever I don't care I mean it's written so poorly it's looks like someone that's not well because of the way that it's written that I was like whatever you know and my friends that are well known that have this everywhere hundreds of thousands of pages about them with this kind of stuff are like okay Kristen so you have one page (laughs) wham 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 I'm playing violin yeah (laughs) they're like welcome to the next level of success it, but it is it is frustrating because it's just natural instinct to want to fight. Yeah. Um, and, and it is a natural instinct to want to correct it, to have your voice heard. And that is, I mean, it just, it is. But I think, yeah. like you said, kind of with our generation, you will almost never, especially me and a lot of my friends, will almost never see me, you know, like arguing with people on Facebook. Right. Because we get it's just not worth it. Like, and I think most people get that as well in real life. You know, like it's just, it's not worth it. But, you know, online is, like you said, everybody kind of has this fear that everybody's going to start thinking this about me. And, you know, and, and I mean, I understand it. Because the way the face with the the Facebook, the way Facebook works, <laughs> you know, um, they've seen what how much one meme or one thing can change. But right. I mean, to be honest, if you know, if if a you know, like one page something, people are gonna believe it either way. It, you know, they already had that mindset before. Right. Um, that that meme didn't all of a sudden like completely change, you know, their opinion of the network or you or the page didn't change their they already exactly. had it before. It just reinforced it. Um so I mean it, it, what is it? This the bias, um yeah. Research bias. I can't remember what it's called. I think don't you feel like people are getting I mean, maybe I'm maybe just because I am more educated about this I think this is normal but it feels like we are starting to shift into okay um not really believing everything that's out there of course there are pockets of people that do but yeah some of us are kind of like are are like okay just because that meme says a quote uh, that says Jefferson Thomas Jefferson <laughs> isn't necessarily true True. because that news like we're starting to be able to read between the lines i'll give you um yeah 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 yeah. we're starting to go the other way again we're hopefully finding a balance yeah exactly and i think what's interesting too is you know we're starting to see patterns of how um the media utilizes headlines to sensationalize and has it always done that Absolutely. Yes. I had a, a great talk about this when I first started practicing law. Uh, before I started practicing law, I I mean, I, I knew to an extent, you know, that not everything's true and all that. But I didn't really know the extent of the way the media especially portrays things mm-hmm. um, until after I started practicing law. Because here I was on the front line of all these news stories. And then I would see um, on the news 
And I'm like, that's not what happened. I was there. Right. You know, and I actually had a talk with a group of seniors in high school uh, about six months, seven months after I started practicing. And that, that was one of the things I brought up is, you know, you can see um, one incident and a headline changes everything. And the example I said was, okay, you say you get pulled over for a speeding ticket. And the headline is, you know, big podcaster gets pulled over for a speeding ticket. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that, that basically blows it out of proportion, you know, right. uh, or, and I think I use this or, um, you know, um, or woman gets pulled over by a speeding ticket. That pretty much de-escalates that headline. It's not much to it. it. It's proportional with what's going on. Right. You know, one, it shouldn't have been in the news anyways, but let's just right. say that that's something you do put in the news. And then there's the other side of it. You know, speeding lady gets pulled over. Thank God she didn't kill anybody. Right. I mean, and those are those are not just, you know, like me being – you know, just making a point, those are headlines that you're most likely going to see. Right. And all three of those are describing the same exact thing. Well, it's like this too. It's <laughs> like, like I saw a headline about Netflix. Okay. And it was, uh -huh. what was trending in the news was, uh, companies kowtowing to Saudi Arabia. Well, what was in the news was Trump not taking the journalist that was murdered seriously. The journalist from the Washington Post who was murdered and there was all this back and forth with Trump and Trump, you know, not really acknowledging that it was a murder and Saudi Arabia not taking response. You know, there's so many things going on and that was the hot story. So the next day or a few days later, they do a, a lead for a, sh a story about how Netflix has now um, bowed down to um, foreign countries like Saudi Arabia or China for some of their programming because these countries didn't like it. And the way that the headline was written was like, oh, Netflix is now part of the policing and big brothering of mm -hmm. um, their content because of what's going on with Trump. It, it was written to grab people's attention and then you read the actual story and it was well no Netflix has contracts in countries all over the world and all the time it could be Germany that says well that particular show or episode of your this particular series is not mm -hmm. in line with our country's um, laws around nudity or whatever so they pull an mm -hmm. episode but those never make the headlines that one right. particular one did because of that country so you start to sort of get savvy about, you know, how things are portrayed, but not everybody takes the time to realize that the headline is not the whole story. Oh yeah, exactly. And a main thing with that is reading the article. Um, he, I mean, you have to read the article. I, especially with Washington Post, cause I have not subscribed. Sorry, Washington Post. I do enjoy your articles, but <laughs> I have not subscribed. Um, <laughs> I do enjoy them, but you can with them, especially because they are so big, you can easily look at the comments and get a gist of, um, what the article is about right? and what the actual article says. And because there's usually, you know, a couple people that 
read it and they analyze it. And then there's just people that just like argue with them. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. So you can get a better, you know, you're getting a a filtered or not an unfiltered idea of what's going on. But Mm -hmm. it's it's just something where it's it's forcing us to be I think we we didn't know what was going on. We had this wild, wild west thing happen called the Internet. Then we have social media laying on top of it. And then everybody goes in and they just blindly start um, putting whatever private information out there for everybody to see that's now logged. And they don't really think about who is following, how that data is being used. And we're seeing these companies get in trouble for the information they're sharing. So you're right, it is getting better, but I want to make sure that our listeners know, because, you know, they're mostly people that are trauma survivors and they've had these horrible things happen to them and they don't feel heard. They are in trauma already. A predator targets them and they don't know who to call. They don't know where to get information. And they're already in that heightened state of trauma, which is what these predators right. love. So they sound out of control. And that's how they're treated is like they're out of control. No, they're just reacting to trauma that is happened they, to them. They sound frantic and scared yes. like any victim would. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean... The best, I I mean, I definitely have some advice on that. Yeah, please. Um, the best thing, if you are getting cyber stalked or trolled, you know, evaluate the threat as independently as possible. And that's kind of what you and I did. Yeah. Um, we, you know, step back from the threat. Is it really a threat? Well, it could be. Well, if it is, especially if you, and I tend to be like this, there's certain times when I just go off the rails as far as like freaking out or things like that, get somebody that's not in that place to help you bring it back. Yeah. Because you are going to have to make a statement. You are going to have to, you know, be calm about it. So somebody, you know, definitely is going to need to bring you down um, from that frantic state before you make those statements, because you will come off as frantic and unbelievable. As crappy as that sounds, that's right. reality because we do, uh, like most of my friends from where we moved from are cops. Uh, I've had a lot of cop friends and they deal with so much just like everybody else Right. that they have to quickly decipher, you know, who's being credible, who's not. Um, are there good, are there bad cops? Yes, but most of them are not trying to be you know, dismissive or anything like that. And most of them just have so much to deal with that it's hard to, you know, just like it's hard for you and I to deal with somebody that's super emotional because we take on their emotions. Yeah. It's hard for them as well. Exactly. It's hard for them as well. So the calmer you are, you know, but being very like upfront, like this is what happened, you know, being grounded in what happened and being able to relay it, one, makes you more credible on the stand if it ever comes to that. Mm-hmm. And two, it makes them easily understand what's going on. Um, yeah, there's so many good movies that that show this, too, about the you know, when someone figures out to just, you know, try to get to this place where you can be calm. And, and if that means that you do a lot of therapy and a lot of work around this so that you can get to that place do it. 
I, I remember we had a duo that were just horrible that we had to deal with, a, um, you know, two partners and um, it was, you know, something revolving the network. And I knew something smelled fishy, but one of them was, was really a, a diagnosed sociopath and really good at, at being one. And he was always calm, but the, his partner was just this mess. And so when I had to call the police on that one, it was funny because I could tell that the police were over it with the amount of times they were getting called by the partner. They were just over it. Like you are this, they had her diagnosed already. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I knew I'm going to be really calm and I'm going to say these things, this, and, and say it in a very rational um, this is exactly boom, 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 what's happening. And I threw in a couple things like, you know, it's not our job to um, deal with this kind of erratic behavior. And um, we're being harassed now. And this person's obvious attachment disorder is not our problem. And when I said that, and I had said, I'm not one of our clinicians, but this is information that's coming from our clinicians. And the person, the cop on the other end of the line started laughing. He was like, ah, I got to write that one down. I didn't know that's what it was called. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, so many they cops, know. Yeah. They, they may not know the name, but trust me, they know, they see it day in, day out. Yep. I mean, it is impossible unless you're a clinician to know every single name of every single disorder. I mean, well, even I, clinicians have a hard time. Right, with that. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, but they'll, they can tell you, you know, who, has an issue, a mental issue, if they're healthy or they're not. Right. Yep. Yeah. And two, it's, it's like, I remember when I was really young, I was in my early twenties and, um, we filed for bankruptcy over the most paltry amount of money possible. But to us, it was a gazillion dollars. I think it was maybe over $15,000 or something. And to, at that time it was like, Oh my God, you know, we, and our right. attorney was like, are you sure you want to do this like you really don't need to and I was like no we just have to oh you know and um I was so nervous and so freaked out on the court date but I I, I do one of those things where I get quiet and he was so good because he walked up to me and he said you're fine no one's gonna pick on you you don't look like the typical people that are having bankruptcy after bankruptcy after bankruptcy and that are obviously defrauding the you know the right. system or using the system, you really, I promise you, you're going to be fine. And it was really nice to have somebody look at me and that knows that's handled this day in and day out, be like, you're really going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, that's part of our, our jobs. Um, well, it's supposed to be. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not um, every attorney does that. No. Um, and I, you know, after practicing for three years, uh, over three years now, I guess, I get it because there's a lot of times you have to be cold. Yeah. Uh, because if you have those emotions, it can come back and bite you because there are people that are narcissistic and psychopaths and sociopaths and everything else. And they're very good yeah. at defrauding even their own attorneys. Uh, how, how do you very good? Yeah. And how <laughs> you, being a highly empathic person, I mean, I try to get this across to people too. 
because I've gotten to a stage and I'm not, at, I'm not saying I've reached some pinnacle. I, I haven't, I've just reached a different stage where I, I really can look back and observe someone's behavior and sort of strategize and put things together to see how they're going to behave just to see what their intentions are and be very calm and rational about it. And I don't have any guilt about that. I used to, I used to think, is that making me a narcissist that I do that, that I'm calculating? Now I realize, no, those are effective tools that I have used to protect myself and my company and my family that I've learned from dealing with people that do this every day. It doesn't make me one of them. It makes me know how to deal with them because you're right. If I have any emotion in there, they snack, eat that up like a snack and then you're hooked. So being at that place, like you said, you say it's cold. I think that's a healthy place to try to get to as someone that has to deal with this kind of stuff on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I guess cold is the wrong word. It's no, it's, I get what you mean. um, Yeah. I mean, it it is cold if you're dealing with somebody that's not like that. Um, But if you are dealing with somebody that, you know, is narcissistic, has traits like that or sociopath or anything like that, it's guarding yourself in a healthy way. Yes. Um, I mean, you do, that's one thing that kind of led to is because I got so emotional about a lot of my cases and on more than one time they were you know just playing me and using yeah. me and with me being an attorney you know my reputation is important and when people play you like that it can come back and bite you so that's one thing I've learned with the practice of law is how to evaluate people in cases without getting my emotions involved. Right. Because right. I mean, you do have to, you know, look at it from a third point perspective and not, you know, I'm trying to fight for this person. You always fight for the person. That's a part of my job, but right. you having those emotions involved all does to an extent leave you open. And there's mm-hmm. a time and a place when you're in a term, there truly is. But being able to evaluate is probably one of the most important skills. And there's some attorneys that shut those emotions down completely. Right. And I've seen them. And they are, you know, unfortunately, they may make a lot of money, but they're, you know, they're not passionate. Right. And compassionate. Right. So there, there it is a delicate dance for sure. Yeah, it is. I, 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 I'm so glad that you're a part of this network because it's invaluable. And I want listeners to understand because I know that there's some of you out there that will be like, ah, oh, she defends, you know, my ex-husband or whatever, you know, or my ex-wife. And I want you to understand how great this is that we have her show and Shannon as a as someone that's a part of this network, because remember what we do, we expose these things. Do you see how invaluable it is that we have someone that knows this from that place as someone doing a show for this network? It's absolutely invaluable. So before you put on a judgment hat from a very triggered place, which I may have too a few years ago, now I see it from a more strategic this is a really good 
thing place. And I hope that, you know, listeners, you, some of you that, you know, might be making judgments can come from that place too, because it is helpful. I mean, there, we do have a legal system. There are defense attorneys and there are prosecuting attorneys and that that's just, that's just the way it goes. So, um, so please try to look at this as an invaluable asset to um, you be you as a listener. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it doesn't bother me um, as much with people, you know, judging me for being criminal defense attorney. Um, it's one thing that you know I've dealt with literally since I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney, right? Which was like in high school or before. So. You know, I am transitioning out of criminal defense because of, you know, I do have things that are more important to me than my job. And my job does put me in a lot of risk. And I'm just right. not willing to sacrifice that. Um, but, I mean, so many people have asked me, you know, well, how could you defend somebody that, that is guilty? And, you know, they, they take the worst case scenarios all right. the time. It's always, you know, how could you defend a, you know, this is, I guess, a trigger warning, a child rapist right. or things like that. And I mean, I get that hundred percent. I get that. I get why somebody would ask that. I'm glad that you, I'll tell you what, Shannon, I'm glad that you have been, even if you're getting out of it or you're not getting out of it, it doesn't matter. I'm glad that you have this yeah. experience just as much as I'm glad that I have had some horrific predators right. in my life because man, did it teach me invaluable life skills that help me do what I do today. So right. that's how I look it's, at it. I, I completely agree. And, you know, part of it is, is, you know, everybody does kind of go to that worst case scenario, mm -hmm. like how do you defend murderers or things like that. But reality overall is that most people going through the legal system are not those worst case scenarios. Right. Right. Uh, and you know, 90% aren't not the 90% that most people will never see going through the legal system are the ones that have mental health issues. Right. Uh, you know, substance Thank abuse, you bringing that up. Yes. Substance abuse issues because of trauma. So a lot of the people going through the legal system are very much like me and you very right. much. And unfortunately they went down a path or they got involved with people that didn't help. They just, you know, fed them drugs. And I can't tell you how many people that I've represented that they didn't need the legal system. They didn't need rehab. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it really is. It's hard to kind of put yourself in that position of how can you defend somebody that's guilty, but what people see on TV, you know, the trials and things like that. Right. As a sensationalized version. Very much. I've represented hundreds of clients, hundreds. I've gone to trial three times. Right. And I've represented hundreds of clients. So what people see on TV is, you know, 0.1% of what criminal defense attorneys do. Right. And it is, it's, you know, a lot of people look at it like, oh, you're defending guilty people. That's always a shade of black and white. 
Can I add something to that? Oh yeah, go ahead. Some of my friends are were abused psychologically, physically, financially by sociopaths, psychopaths, malignant narcissists. And that person was so good at what they do and had an attorney that was just as bad as their client. And so they, the victim, were thrown in jail. They, the victim, they, the victim, have an attorney like you who is trying to defend them against people like that. And that has happened. I mean, I have friends that have spent $500,000 or more trying to get their kids back with, I mean, and, and they have proof of all these things, but it's Mm -hmm. in a certain court that's an old boy, um, you know, jurisdiction in the middle of nowheresville and they believe the man and not the woman. So there's a flip side to this too, about what you do. Sometimes you're defending people that really aren't guilty and you know exactly what you're dealing with on the other side that is accusing them of being guilty. Exactly. I mean, that's a great point. Um, I mean, we, I've dealt with, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, this example is a good, a good one. You know, if, if the police show up to a domestic violence call, Mm -hmm. usually the policy in most jurisdictions is somebody has to go to jail. And that's just a safety precaution to separate the parties. They may, may or may not know who started it, but it's the separation policy. So it doesn't escalate. And you, a lot of times don't know who the actual victim is. Right. Because if it's just a shouting match and things get thrown, well, the person throwing things is going to go to jail. But what was said before could have been, I'm going to kill you. And that person could have been throwing something to get them away from them. Right. And that's a lot of what we see in domestic violence court um, is that type of thing where you really don't know who the first aggressor is or what was said. Because it's impossible to prove. Right. So you just, you, you got, you have to have somebody fighting for you because a lot of our instincts are to say, well, I didn't do it. Do you know how many times, you know, courts hear that? Um, that's not, <laughs> that's not anything helpful. It's facts, law. And unfortunately the average citizen doesn't know how to approach that. Right. Exactly. And, if, and, I, and I have seen so many times you know, domestic violence situations where, you know, you have to have an attorney, have to, because it's not just cut and dry. Like a lot of people think of the justice system. It's somebody got hauled off to jail, but that's about it. That's all we know. So you got to look at investigating. You got to look at records. You've got to look at the history and it's not, you know, yeah, there are definitely instances where attorneys represent people that are very unsavory. But, you know, it's it's the kind of thing, if you let that slide and let those people go through the justice system without representation, then that victim who threw the chair because her, you know, her husband or his husband or his wife or whatever. Whatever, you know, right. Right, because they're the, the psychopath that, you know, she or he truly thought that person was going to kill him. You know, those people don't get protected. If right. those unsavory don't get protected. Yep. 
Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that was, I'm so glad that we got to that point. Is there anything else that you want to um, share with listeners about, um, about your story and told them where they can find you, but um, right. you know, any other thing that you want to share about your show? You know, I, <laughs> not really. And I, cause I really want people to listen, not that they won't listen because of that, but because it's so, it's not just, you know, I'm giving you these tips or things. There's a lot that's pretty raw on there. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just hard to explain. You know, there are days that I have bad days and I, you know, I try to put those on my show too. Um, I usually, you know, I usually put those as a form of like what I've been going through lately. And that's just kind of hard to highlight. Um, it's something that I think is really relatable. Um, because, you know, a lot of what we get out of the media and social media and things like that is um, how to become successful. You know, how, yes, how that's to, a whole other show that we need to do together. I just, uh, I'm on a rant how, about that right now. Right, how do you? That, uh, you know, the positive, nothing but positive mindset. <sighs> I'm so change, over it. Change your, change your inner, inner thoughts and you will, you will be successful. Well, that's not the reality for people dealing with mental health issues. And it's not reality, period. Right. Like I said, a whole other show. I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> right. And you're fine. So my, my podcast is really about a journey as I'm going through it. It's not just the you know, two years ago, I went through this and this is what I did to get through it. This is, you're learning just as much as I am right now. Right. So it's, it's unique in that, I guess, that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everyone, this has been Shannon Davis. I'm so grateful to you, Shannon. I mean, in so many ways, I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm so proud to have your show as a part of our network. It's Finding Shannon, everyone. You can, like I said, go to iTunes, Stitcher, a number of different places, and our website, mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, and you can see her show. And we'll be having her on my show um, at different times, too, as her time allows, because as she already said, she is a busy mother and wife and <laughs> and dealing with all the same issues that the rest of us have to deal with. So Shannon, thank you so much for joining us and for joining my show today. And thank you so much for having me on the network and the show. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show.
Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.